And a pleasant good evening, Mets fans. Welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. Sam Levowitz, Jack Hendon, episode 92. And oh, it's good to be a Mets fan right now. Once again, kind of a weird week, Jack, but we're picking up about an hour, hour and a half or so after the Mets finished just an absurd game in Philadelphia, but exposing the truth once again that the Phillies are felony frauds, both spelled with a PH. Um, it's fun. The Mets winning 10-9. They took three of four in the city of brotherly love. A four and four week overall, but Zach, after a series loss in Atlanta, a series win over in Philly, how are we feeling? That was the stupidest game I've ever watched. Wasn't it? I feel that was the stupidest, dumbest game. I'm trying to be FCC friendly about it, and I'm glad that they won. But when they have to like perform an autops on autopsy on me when I'm like 45, and they're like, "What happened to this guy's heart? Like, why was why did he have a 90 year old man's heart? Like, why did he go so quick?" It's gonna be because I was watching a a freaking game in citizens bank park thank god that's the last of it of course the last met philly game of the year is going to be the dumbest the longest the worst the most lead changes there was a rain delay uh they had guys debuting there were body parts everywhere um mark canna is really good but like i would very strongly prefer to never have to watch that kind of game again uh, I'm very happy we're done with the Philadelphia Phillies. Whoever it was that said that only bad things happen in Philadelphia might have had a point. Um, and I love Philadelphia, but things that happen in that ballpark this year, it's not just when the Mets are in town, but the fact that it even happens when we have to watch them is just ridiculous. I'm so glad to be done with it. Um, I need Z- I need Xanax. That's <laughs> how I'm feeling. I, I think that you and I are feeling very similar about it. I watched the whole damn thing. Yeah. And I I knew that I had to watch the whole thing, even though, you know, they fell behind 4 nothing in the first inning. It was a spot start game. Both teams had extremely taxed bullpens. There was the doubleheader that they split on Saturday. Jose Budo made his major league debut. He gave up four runs in the first, gave up uh, – two three-run home runs to Alec Bohm, of all people, hitting home runs against the Mets. Um, neither of them were, uh, I would say, earned home runs. I mean, the, the line drive in the first inning, that, like, cleared the fence by 10 feet. And the one in the, the second one just pissed me off. But that was the dichotomy. That was exactly what this game was. It yeah. was the little opposite field line drive that hit the base of the foul pole. Like, that's the kind of thing that this game had. It I feel like like um, the Bill Hader character on SNL. This game had everything. This game had three major league debuts by pitchers. This game had a guy with the last name Butt. This guy had uh, Nate Fisher who we'll talk about, I'm sure, at length. We're going to talk about all the new guys this week because the Mets made nine ads this week to the active roster, and we're going to talk about them all. Uh, Nate Fisher is one of them, a guy who a year and a half ago was banking, and now he's throwing three shutout innings in a, in a game against a rival, and Mark Canna is saying after the game, this is true, I don't know if you saw this when asked about it, Mark Canna, who hit two home runs today, by yeah. the way, including a he's... lead-flipping home run in the ninth inning, 
he said, uh, I, I did, when that guy came in, I didn't even know who he was, but he did a hell of a job, which is the vibe today. This game had everything. It had bad Edwin Diaz, who we haven't seen forever. Uh, it, the Mets still held on. A bad Edwin Diaz game in which the Mets still held on to a lead in the ninth inning. Got a Gene Segura home run, um, but it wasn't against Edwin Diaz, which felt surprising. This game just, this was such a dumb game. Yeah. It was such a dumb game. A 10-9 final often is a dumb game. Had the rain delay in it. I don't even know where to go from it. But when it ended, I was just exasperated. I was ready to not watch baseball, uh, frankly, until tomorrow when the Mets and the Yankees get after it on Monday night in the Bronx. But you're right. This was just a weird week. Um, 40 base runners in this game. 40. 40. 40. 40. 40 base runners. 16 hits from the Mets, 14 from the Phillies. If you count the two errors that Philadelphia made, then it's 42. We're getting very close to 44 here, but then five walks apiece. Um, no one got hit by a pitch. Uh, I'm trying to think of like anything else. I mean, Michael Perez uh, might be the catcher of the future. Um, he, had some, he had some at-bats. Listen, listen. He had some at-bats. I could not believe that after Jose Budo did what he did in the first inning, that A, they brought him out for the second inning. I thought that was wildly irresponsible, right? He had thrown 38 pitches in the first. They had batted around. Why would you send him basically to restart everything against Kyle Schwarber the second time? But he turned out okay, right? Um, but like even the fact that after Budo had that first inning, that Kyle Gibson proceeded on the other side of the game to just stop throwing strikes. Um, he let the Mets right back into it. They scored two in the second inning. They scored a run in the third. They scored a run in the fourth. Um, I mean, yes, Philadelphia took another lead right after that. But, like, I mean, Budo almost outlasted Kyle Gibson. That speaks to not only how just unserious Philly's games are, but also how I think nicely Budo recovered. Um, do I ever want to see that again? Like, probably not. Um, I, I don't really think they have anyone else that they can call on because of the way this week started. I mean, Carlos Carrasco is going to be out for three to four weeks now. And who knows if Taiwan Walker is really going to nip this thing in the bud or if he's going to continue to have health problems throughout the rest of the season, right? He had a hip thing. Um, I believe it was... Uh, the second, yeah, the second game of that Brave series when he threw the pitch off the mound and kind of struggled with his cleat, you know, getting caught and couldn't come back out after that. And then again, um, on on Tuesday night, he comes out of the game, um, you know, with with a, with back spasms. Like Budo might, Budo might appear in another game, and they're not going to get this lucky this time because of how bad the Phillies are on the pitching side of the ball and on the defensive side of the ball. I mean. I, I yeah yeah I, I I think it was kind of like a perfect situation for both teams really in terms of the pitching like the, the Phillies had to throw a guy in his major league debut in this game too obviously it was at the very end of the game it was Tyler Sear who was the last Phillies pitcher to throw in that ninth inning after yeah. David Robertson gave up the lead but like they were strapped too Robertson threw over 30 pitches in the doubleheader and yeah. They still had him go out for the save situation. Right. Um, instead of like Sam Coonrod, he was the, like their last guy besides this rookie who hadn't thrown. Um, like 
the Phillies were equally strapped for pitching too. But for the Mets, you mentioned the Carrasco and the Walker injury, uh, injury issues. This was just kind of a perfect uh, storm for this pitching staff to have to dip into the really the last remaining arms on the 40-man roster uh, who you hadn't turned to yet this year, like Budo, like Rob Z. Uh, just as uh, I can do this, I can get this one right. Zestrizny, yes, um, yes, Zestrizny, uh, yes. Sam Clay before him, and uh, Nate Fisher today, guys who are not really on a major league team's radar coming out of spring training, but things happen during the season that necessitate you bringing in new fresh arms. They'll probably be bringing in a new arm tomorrow for the series at Yankee stadium, a just in case arm. I don't know who the hell it's going to be because the, the Syracuse bullpen used up a lot of their arms today too. So um, who knows who that's going to be, but we'll find out tomorrow. It's not going to be someone that's currently on the 40 man roster, which right. is probably going to cost Rob Zestrisny, uh his 40 man spot. I think he's probably, or, or Devin Marrero, like, um, or Marrero already got DFA. Well, Lopez, Juan Lopez can go probably. I mean, uh, I don't yeah, think they I have mean, much there's there's options. There there are options here, um, which yeah. is nice. But um, the Mets have had to burn through everything. Like Steven Nagosik got a little overextended and pulled his oblique. Yeah. After pitching in the doubleheader, um, but like the doubleheader itself caused problems too because you had uh, not only did you have to use uh, Trevor Williams to fill one of those double header games, but you also already were going to use David Peterson yeah. in the double header, which you had to do because of Carrasco's injury. And also because Walker wasn't going to be making the Sunday start. Then you needed to fill both double header games and the Sunday start. And you only had two real options between the three games with your long guy, Trevor Williams, who did adequate. He hit through four shutout innings. He continues to be really, really good beneficial to this team in general got a scoreless streak he's got a bit of a scoreless streak going um david peterson was not very good but he battled um in game two of that doubleheader not to do the old he we battled we battled but he he kind of battled he didn't have his good stuff he only only, he only allowed three runs so like he kept the team in the game they just couldn't hit off bailey falter but then there was no one to turn to for that Sunday game, and it had to be Jose Budo, uh, who was the only other starter on the 40-man roster who you could theoretically go to. He's a guy who has made two appearances above double-A in his career before this start. Uh, this series, season series as a whole, 19 games, and the Mets won 14 of them. They dominated this season series for the most part, and this 19th game, um, in which there were combined 19 runs scored was exemplary of how the season series has gone. There's been a lot of weird things that have happened yeah. in this yeah. season series between the Mets and the Phillies, specifically in that ballpark. You can go back to the game in which the Mets came back from seven to one down yeah. uh, in the ninth inning to come back and win that game. They The Mets threw a no hitter against the Phillies this year, which I feel like people forget about. Uh, yeah. I mean, anything really, even the seven to one game feels like three years ago at this point, this week, especially has just felt like a calendar year. It's, it's been like, it's just been a lot. Um, I, yeah, I mean, there was a Nick Plummer game. 
um, which was ridiculous. It's Plummer who was recently DFA'd, um, RIP, Plum, Plummer Summer. Um, he I could, mean, though. He could be back. Well, you know what happened. Um, the other thing about it, too, and I think it's kind of emblematic of this team. I mean, look, we saw the Phillies this year. They were really unwatchable. Um, they might make the playoffs as the sixth seed. I don't know how this how this goes for them, like in a postseason format. Like you really can't win if you can't field and if you can't pitch. And their bullpen is just kind of a joke. Like even when Budo was giving up his runs, I thought maybe there was a chance that like they'd run into Andrew Bellotti and 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 get back in this game in some way. But like you know, Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola combined for nine starts against the Mets this year, and the Mets won all nine of those games, right? It's not just that the Phillies were playing themselves out of some of these matchups. I think the Mets were game for the matchups that really had the most competitive incentive to them. Uh, the Mets played better baseball when I think it mattered most. Um, we saw that today, really. I mean, their offense just did not give up. This entire week, I think, has been, like I said, just it's been giving like very late 2021, um, just with the revolving door of, not very good depth players like Udo today reminded me a lot of Thomas Sapucky and Jared Eikhoff before him. And I mean, he recovered nicely, but really the storyline is that the offense just completely, you know, they were in sync with every moment with this, with, with this Philadelphia pitching staff. I mean, they, every time the Phillies scored, the Mets had an answer for him. Who was the guy and this was 2020, not 2021, the guy that they got, from Texas, Ariel Hurado. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there were some Hurado vibes today for sure. The Wilmer Font kind of game, yeah. But like not... he, I know that the line isn't pretty. He gave up the seven runs, but like I would say he acquitted himself okay. Like well, four innings, given the start that you had to your game, was very good. Yeah, uh, yeah, and he got a a, a cheapy. There was a, a cheapy homer in there, and like. He was in the middle, uh, mid nineties with his fastball, and he flashed some decent changeups and some decent breaking balls. Like Mets might have like a guy who could theoretically be a major league pitcher here. I'm not. He's not there yet. I just don't think he's there yet. Like this was not a guy who was kind of like when they were forced to use Chris Flexen, yeah, straight from Double A, yeah. simply because he was a forty man guy, uh, which killed Flexen's development. But they, it killed Flexen's development because he was at the major league level for too long. Like he he just gave up a ton of runs, yeah, uh, and then got hurt. Yeah, uh, he was also younger than Budo at that point. Like Budo's going to go back down to Syracuse and and probably finish the season there, barring a need for another spot star like this. Yeah, I think that's an important comp, and it's a really good comp because it kind of segues into another thing that I wanted to talk about. Because with Flexen, I think. Part of the issue, the fundamental problem with calling him up when they did was that team kind of sucked that year. Um, they really did not need to take somebody whose development probably had a little bit of importance to it and just kind of throw him to the wolves the way that they did. This season, you kind of need to just play the cards that you have, um, regardless of what's going to happen to them next. And Budo was an example today. And I think the example of this week um, but it's something that sort of differentiates this year's team from last year's team and potentially teams of prior ownership was the fact that they called up Rep Beatty um, because of the beginning of this week um, when Eduardo Escobar was clearly hurt and Luis Guillorme was already on the injured list. 
the Mets opted to call up Devin Marrero, select his contract. Um, I think everybody knew that even the worst possible outcome version of Brett Beatty, if you had called him up and he had been exposed to early, would still have been better than Marrero, right? And like, of course, there was a learning curve there. They did not call him up on Monday. They did not have him ready to go on Tuesday, but they did realize we need to win now. Development is secondary with this one player. If this guy is going to be better than the options that we currently have, we need to play him and we need to win these games. And the game that they called him up over the Braves, his debut game, the two-run homer was the difference maker. I mean, Brett Beatty may not last very long this season. He kind of had a rough series in Philadelphia, but that decision to call him up made a huge difference this week. Um, across the board, just in the fact that you had him playing and not some random, you know, replacement level player that you maybe would have seen in like a 2017, 2018, 2019, you know, uh, iteration of the Mets. Like they were smart enough to call him up. I thought that was a really good decision. I'm glad we saw it. And they called up, I mean, yeah, it was, I don't know, maybe this is a good place to pivot to Brett Beatty briefly, especially because he might not be here, like I said, that much longer, but um, I thought it was a really ballsy decision. Yeah, I I agree. I th- I think everyone was rooting for it. Like it's always fun to see a kid come up and have a chance to be a difference maker, especially like a top prospect, uh, a chance to be a big part of a team's stretch run. Um, and surely if he had come up and hit like Von Grissom has for the Braves since he's come up, um, which I think is a similar comp at least in terms of youth and, and coming up in the middle of a run. Um, Grissom is hitting like 400 for the Braves since he came up. Beatty's three for 20. He's uh, going to sign for six years and $30 million too, by the way. That's that's uh, what's next. Yeah, those Braves extensions are weird. They, can't, they uh, keep getting away with it. Man. They keep getting away with it. can't keep getting away with it. <laughs> Anyways, uh. Like, obviously, the results have not been very convincing for Brett Beatty so far through his first, what is this now, six, seven games? Yeah, um, 22 at-bats. Yeah, I mean, he hit the home run off Jake Odorizzi on the first swing he took. Since then, he has two singles, and he only had one single in the uh, four games in Philadelphia. So he's looking a little overmatched right now, but he's also a 22-year-old who had seven games in AAA before he got here. Um, he can hit like he can hit at that price point. He can hit, um, he will eventually be, I think a good major leaguer. I don't think he's there yet. I think he needs some more time to season. Um, I think this is a guy who could be the Mets starting third baseman as soon as next season. Um, but listen, I don't think the at bats have been awful, but he is looking a little overmatched really on both sides of the ball. You can, you can tell the game is kind of fast for him because there's been a couple of defensive miscues too on plays he, he should make. Um, and he's a good enough defensive third baseman that those are plays that he will make. Um, but it's pretty clear that the game has sped up on him a little bit. It's also like you come up here and all right, you're playing six games in five days. Um, it's, it's probably a little physically taxing yeah. and, It'll be nice to head back to the city, I think, for him. And uh, however long he stays up here, whether he's – that's the thing, though, is that you never want to send these kind of guys back down. Yeah. 
And you may not have to with Beatty. I mean, that's the thing too. I think that it depends on how you see his development. Um, in my eyes, and I say he's probably not long here because I don't think the Mets, I don't trust the Mets to, to commit to this decision, even though I think it would be the right decision. I think that if everything goes to plan for Eduardo Escobar and his oblique strain, he's going to be back on Friday. Um, I think the move is to, because especially because we know what Eduardo Escobar is against right-handed pitching, the Mets should do to Beatty what they did to Michael Conforto in 2015 when they had a window to go to the World Series and had a really good young player who still had some holes in his game, but they wanted to develop him. Beatty should be getting the at-bats against right-handed pitching. Escobar, because he cannot hit right-handed pitching anyway and can definitely hit left-handed pitching, should be getting the starts against lefties. I don't see why with this year and everything that's on the line, um, you wouldn't try and get something out of Beatty anyway. And just simply in being like in the clubhouse, being at with this team, like it would suck if they demoted him or, you know, optioned him before he even got to play in a home game. Right. I mean, you want him to experience something like this anyway, in some capacity going forward. Um, I, I, I think that there's still an avenue for Brett Beatty to have a role in this team. Um, again, I, I think they're probably going to option him if not because of the development thing, but simply because like they really want their defense and they're not going to get rid of Yolmer Sanchez as long as Luis Guillorme is out and he's going to be out for a while. Like I think that their thought process is going to be that they need to keep the defensive players there because Escobar can't really field because Beatty can't really field either. And because Guillorme isn't there. Um, but I don't really know if that's like the best decision to make for this team, especially on an offensive level. And we see what happens when they score runs, like, especially with the way their bullpen is like, you're going to need your bats here. Um, bullpen is, I mean, I don't want to like go too in depth about what's wrong with it because we know what's wrong with it. It's not very good. Um, but like, if you didn't have guys hitting in the ninth inning today, in the, in the seventh inning today, I mean, you would not have won this game. Um, I trust Brett Beatty to bat against a right-handed pitcher more than I trust any of these, these like Long Island Ducks ass call-ups that they keep bringing up out of Syracuse. I trust him more than like, I know he's not there anymore, I guess, but like, you know, I don't want Kramer Robertson up there. I don't want Travis Blankenhorn up there. Like should keep Beatty around. That's, that's how I feel about it. I, I understand not, not looking at him I understand looking at him and realizing that he's probably not ready yet but you should still get something out of him while you can because it might even benefit him no Travis Blankenhorn slander on this podcast this is a pro Travis Blankenhorn podcast I want to make that very clear before we circle around easy there buddy fine (laughs) fine uh yeah listen they had to cycle through so much this week and we talked about the pitching side a little bit there's eight guys that you have labeled in our little script document as NPCs because yeah. that is effectively what they are to us. They are remembering guys fodder for the future. Uh, but there's still people. Um, yeah. I, I think you had kind of something you wanted to talk about on in regards yeah. to all this roster crap that has to go on when there is a need for shuffling guys in and out on a major league roster, whether that be the injuries Tiggy Yorme and Escobar on the infield that have necessitated adding people like Beatty, who is the least NPC of these guys, because he's like a top 25 prospect in baseball, whatever. But Devin Marrero, Yolmer Sanchez, 
those guys are ads on the infield. Michael Perez to be the backup catcher. Um, to who? I don't know. There's no clear primary catcher on this roster because, again, catching continues to be the worst position on this roster. Uh, and then the pitching side, RJ Alvarez, bad. Sam Clay, whatever. Rob Zestrins, Zest, oh, Jesus Christ. I'm a broadcaster. I should be able to do this. Zestrisny, um, he was okay. Jose Budo, again, not good, but could be okay. And then Nate Fisher is like the most interesting story that we've got. But yeah, yeah he, he pitched pretty good today. Um, yeah. but they also probably ran his arm into the ground a little bit. So yeah, these guys are all getting worked. Um, they're getting worked to pitch in innings that they, you know, in effect really maybe shouldn't have to be pitching. Um, cause they're just getting, you know, they're just shoring things up and then they're getting sent down and you always have the risk that something happens to them. Like it did with the or like Tommy Hunter a couple weeks ago, right? Like guys can get hurt. Um, we wanted to briefly just remember all of these guys in some way before we continued um you know talking about this team at large just because this is the first point in the year where I feel like it's really hitting us that they're just like digging into the minors as far as they can as deep as they can to pull out what they have um last year there must have been like 30 of these guys hopefully it's only eight um but they you know they are people too uh there's a there's a lost there's a lost episode um that has never seen the light of day oh yeah oh yeah yeah the tear maker that we recorded and then never used well we have it somewhere it is like an hour and 20 minutes of us with the tear maker thing taking up like 80 percent of the screen um i don't know maybe we revisit the tear maker thing this year just because there are so few guys compared to before but um i think what i was just gonna get at very briefly before we do this is just that like yeah like these guys have one of the hardest jobs in baseball because they essentially don't have teams um, they get called on to pitch for teams and then they get DFA'd. Um, best case for them from a roster perspective, um, I guess best case for the team is that these guys clear and remain in the system, but then they're back to making minor league salaries. They don't accrue service time. They're back on a shuttle bus. Like it's really brutal being a minor leaguer. And I don't envy any of these guys who are either going to lose their jobs in the next coming days or already have in the wake of what's happened this week. Um, There's nothing really funny about guys getting cut here or getting like, you know, put on an up and down or getting hurt. Um, The humor is exclusively in the fact that there are just so many of them, I guess. Um, But I want to just make that very clear before we get started, just that like, you know, these guys are, uh, you know, it's, it's stupid to, lambaste their performance even just because these are extremely small samples that's part of the joke um you know be nice uh but i guess yeah we should just grade some of these dudes uh maybe do this chronologically they did call up an alvarez this week they called up Beatty and alvarez they called up rj alvarez um rj alvarez all things considered or no he isn't the first guy i'm sorry well, let's just let's just do it anyway, because he was here. I think he was probably the biggest flash and gone. He appeared uh, on Tuesday night in the third inning after uh, Taiwan Walker left his game. Uh, he just kind of came out of the bullpen in between innings, and RJ Alvarez was here uh, through two and a thirds innings between the third and the fifth. Uh, gave up three earned runs on four hits, two homers, three walks. 
Uh, he's short at 51 pitches. He was DFA'd the following day. Uh, Tuesday was not a very fun game. It wasn't nearly as bad as Monday because they lost 13 to one. Uh, RJ Alvarez gets a C from me. It was basically everything that I expected here. Um, I guess kind of a long time coming because he had been a shadow met like earlier in the year when like Chris Bassett got COVID, but he's a, I'm giving him a C that's my grade for him just down the middle. Yeah. I did not watch that game. Uh, I, I am home now from Cape Cod, so I'm finally able to watch games, but that's a new thing. Like that's this weekend is the last three games roughly are the last three games that I've been able to watch in their entirety. Uh, so I did not watch that game. However, I did see the pitches that he allowed home runs on, uh, and they were, uh, I would say, bad pitches um, <laughs> based yeah. on location and general stuff. So mm-hmm. I want to give him a bad grade as a result of that. But on the flip side, he gave the Mets some decent length yeah. after their starter couldn't get past the second inning. So I think that I will give him a C plus for maybe saving the bullpen just a little. He went two and a third, which is like, that's pretty, that's pretty money zone for when he came into that game. Um, irrelevant of score. So yeah. I'll give him a C plus. The thankless job. He did a good job doing something that like pitchers don't like being asked to do. Um, I give him credit for that. And I respect it. It's hard to grade a guy's actual ability on how they do when they're just sort of dropped in like that. Um, Devin Marrero. Uh, the story on him, as we said before, kind of an unfortunate decision to select him given who, that they had Brett Beatty there. Um, but again, they, they waited a little while to put Eduardo Escobar in the injured list. So this is just kind of what happened. Uh, he started in one game that Escobar got scratched out of on Tuesday. Um, he had four at-bats total. He had a pinch hit appearance uh, on Monday night and he had three at-bats on Tuesday. He went hitless. He made a pinch running appearance on Thursday and he stole a base in the ninth inning with two outs uh, without a throw. Um, He's already been DFA'd. He's out of the system. Um, I was pretty harsh on the guy and ultimately I expected a lot worse. I give Devin Marrero a B. A B? The stolen base was huge. I'm I'm not going to lie. The stolen base would have been a big talking point if the Mets had tied that game. I think like a D because I just, Damn. I don't know, man. Like he didn't do anything. I don't care about the steal that much. I Okay. Also, all he does is remind me that they did sit on their hands a little bit with Beatty. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's dumb. That's just a wasted 40 man spot. Like Marrero had to be added to the 40. So like that could have just been Beatty. I get that they were waiting maybe an extra day to make sure that like Escobar's injury was serious enough that they had to IL him. And then once that happened, they were like, okay, we'll just have Marrero and Beatty here. But like, I didn't need Devin Marrero to be on this team. Yeah, that's, that's, I get that. I guess for me, it's also like the games on Monday and Tuesday that he did appear in, like we, they didn't lose those games because Devin Marrero was there and not Brett Beatty. Like, like the pitching, just gave out. Carlos Carrasco got hurt because they tried to push him after a rain delay. And Tuesday, Taiwan Walker got hurt. Like, 
at the end of the day, I, I can't really hold much of what happened against Devin Marrero if I even had a case to do it like before. Um, it could have been a lot worse, I guess. I just, and I don't know. I, again, like, yeah, I, I, I still stand by the B. Uh, next up, Michael Perez. Now wait just a second. Now wait just a second. Michael Perez might have a fan in me because he played pretty well this weekend in Philadelphia. He might be better than James McCann. Who's to say he's not? Really? He's about the same as a hitter. He threw out Ronald Acuna Jr. twice in one game. Um, Had the the go-ahead, you know, ice-breaking hit in the day game on Saturday. He reached base twice today. Uh, he, he draws had, walks. He opened the Mets scoring today. Yeah. He had that single that he only got one RBI on, but it scored two runs because Bradley Zimmer, Zimmer fumbled it, and then JT yeah. Real Muto fumbled the throw home. Like, That's right. Yeah, that was a Sterling Brett Beatty moment too. But I honestly, Michael Perez works well with the pitching staff, it seems. He has an arm. Um, I don't really know like what the deal is with Tomas Nito as far as like what's wrong with him or when he's coming back. This is a perfectly fine replacement to have. Um, He's miles better than Patrick Mazika, in my opinion, even if he still strikes out like just as often. I'm giving Michael Perez an A. He might be my favorite guy this week. I think New San Francisco Giant Patrick Mazika, by the way. Yeah, Mackey, they'll teach rest. him to hit too. They'll, it'll be like JD Davis. Every one of it, the Giants are the new Mariners. Um, May he rest in peace. Yeah, we should. Well, what are you grading him? Perez. Okay, I think I'm with you. I think that he has a reputation of being a good defensive catcher. He has shown that he can throw. Um, the receiving and blocking seem to be okay. He has had a couple of of in not insignificant hits, run scoring hits um, that have mattered. Um, yeah, I, I think that he has worked some good at bats too today. He also had a walk today. Um, I'm still waiting for him to show that power every time he comes up. And this is purely because he had six home runs with the Pirates before they cut him. Three of those came in one game. Uh, like people forget that earlier this year, Michael Perez had a three home run game. Um, but he does have enough power to like pop one every once in a while. I think if he stays on the major league roster long enough. So we, we got, we got cut off. Uh, the zoom ended. I was mid sentence. I was saying, um, how, if Michael Perez stays on this roster long enough, because he has a little bit of power, he's going to get one. He's going to get one crucial home run in like the seventh inning to put the Mets ahead in like a win over. I don't care if it's over the Brewers or the Braves or the friggin' Rockies this week. Like the Yankees would be awesome. That would be cool on the Yankees this week at Yankee stadium. That would be cool. Um, But my, my, I think that if he stays on this roster long enough, he'll get one. He will get one. He's got enough power. He hit six for the pirates, including three in one game. We just need him to do that, um, and perhaps he will. So I'm with you. I, I'll say like an A minus. Yeah, that's fair. I I I'm really manifesting that Yankees thing now. It would line up perfectly with their collapse too. Like, what are they? They're like seven ahead in the division still. Like they're totally going to be fine. It's ah, just it's back to, to back, back to eight because they won today. Oh, the, well, good for them. They needed one. I, I'll give it to them. But dude. That's what's going to happen now. It's it's actually very funny how these things sort of line up where now the Mets have a chance to 
sweep a season series uh, just because the Yankees are just kind of, I mean, I don't know what you would call it. It's very bad. Um, all right, next, Yolmer Sanchez. I'm going to be honest. I don't know who this man is. I've never <laughs> seen this man. Uh, I have he not has seen a gold glove. Cat. I haven't seen him. I, I, I haven't seen him anywhere. I don't know if he's real. Um, he's coming for defense twice now. Him in. They keep saying that they're bringing him in for defense. I don't see him. I never see him make any plays. I don't know what they pay him for. Um, he, I, his, his, his greatest TBD. He doesn't have a grade yet. Uh, he might stick around a while. I, I'm sure we'll get to see more of him because, again, the Mets need their defense. And apparently he's a very I'm, – I'm told he's a very good defender. I simply have yet to be- – no, like I have yet to figure out if this is a real person, if he's attending class. He's 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 gotten into two games. Like he has um, been brought in as a defensive replacement twice now. He got brought in to just like get Francisco Lindor off his feet in game one of the doubleheader, he played the ninth inning of game one of the doubleheader at shortstop and made a play. He did make a play, allegedly. Um, I believe he, he did. And in game two, uh, or rather not in game two, in the in the ninth inning of the Sunday game, the 10-9 game, he, he played third base, um, spelling Brett Beatty, getting a, a better defensive infielder in there. If you're not familiar with Yomer Sanchez, he's been in the league for a while. He came up um under the name carlos sanchez um but started going by yolmer with a y uh and the red sox cut him off their roster the mets claimed him to fill that luis guillorme role because they need a a defensive infielder who can play some shortstop and and at least fake it at second and third like guillorme um could guillorme is obviously an excellent defender sanchez has that same reputation he has a gold glove from his time with the white Sox. like he won a gold glove for second base um when he was a white Sox. there's no bat there don't expect him to hit he was with the giants last year i believe so we'll see how that goes but i agree with you jack to be determined is his grade simply because he has appeared in two innings so far and has not batted yeah we'll see we'll see um Sam Clay, uh, only one appearance. Another guy who's like a shadow Met who had an appearance on the active roster but never played at one point before getting option. He finally got his one appearance. He has since been DFA'd. Um, I believe his roster spot went to Nate Fisher. Uh, but he pitched in the ninth inning of the Saturday day game. At this point, it was an 8-2 to two game. It was on ice. He needed a mound visit. He needed an intervention. It wasn't really his fault, though. Right? Was it? I I was on my way back home. I was in the car. I was listening. I listened to the majority of that game on the radio. And I believe he got the first two outs Mm -hmm. uh, in order. And then there that was one of the Beatty misplays happened with two outs in that ninth inning. Like, he had the inning kind of like it, it seemed as though he had it um going in his direction, but then obviously he wound up giving up a run, but still struck out two guys and finished the game off. Like he did okay. I would say like a solid B minus. Okay. I actually have MLB at bat open now, and I'm gonna have to revise my statement. 
on Yomer Sanchez uh, because, yes, with two out and a runner on first, Brett Beatty did make a throwing error. Um, but then uh, on an Edmundo Sosa base hit, uh, Garrett Stubbs scored the unearned run, uh, but both Beerling and Sosa and advanced a base on a fielding error by Yolmer Sanchez. So oh. he's still TBD, but uh, it's a TBD minus. Um, oh, Sam yeah, Fred, that's what it was. It was two misplays and Sanchez had one of them. That's what yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, okay, so here's the thing. I guess with that information, I have to go easier on Sam Clay. I will give him a B for the same reason I'm giving Devin Marrero a B. Didn't think he was very good. Didn't think he really had a spot on the roster, just looking at his minor league numbers. Uh, can't really say if he was good or bad. So slightly above average because he didn't perform as I expected. It was a little bit better. Um, who we got next? Who's We have like three pitchers now, right? We're, oh, we're done with the position players. Yeah, moving from one stockpile left-hander to another in Rob Zestrizny. Who I thought, okay. I thought he looked okay. Like, this is a guy who, if the three-batter rule does not exist, he might have a job somewhere. Because mm-hmm. he looked to have, like, decent stuff for a left, like, like purely situational left-handed reliever type guy. Yeah. yeah. And he's got a fun name. Yeah. Well, it's not, I don't know how fun it is for you. You keep, you keep stumbling on it. Zastrizny. It's, it's a fun one. Um, yeah, I honestly, I feel the same way about him. Like, I think he might have like something to work with. I'm glad he's staying on their roster. Uh, Cause they optioned him, I think for Budo. Um, so he's still around. He might, I don't know. They would need an, an IL stint to happen in order for him to come up because of that 10 day rule. Um, it felt bad. You know, he got his two outs in the seventh to spell Nagosik. Um, and then he got an out in the eighth, but I think they probably did to him what they do to Joely Rodriguez, like once every two weeks where like, they just kind of gave him a little bit too much to work with. Again, I get it. Pitching staff is strapped. He needs to be the guy that does it. But again, you're, you know, it's a guy who's doing a job that he otherwise probably like wouldn't need to do. Um, I'll give him a B plus because I agree with you on like the stuff profile. He was, and I would, I would definitely grade him above Sam Clay. Um, but I wouldn't commit to an A minus or anything yet. I got to see a little more. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you. I think like, yeah, like he's pretty neutral to me too, like a B. Yeah. Now, how do we grade Jose Budo? polarizing they they asked a lot of him and you know he kind of kept them in the game yeah against the phillies that is true that he did keep them in the game i mean even yeah yeah well so he kept them in the game long enough to get it back to four to four like they they got it tied Mm -hmm. obviously he gave up the second home run to boom which made it seven to four but like he pitched decent in the second and the third inning and gave the offense a chance to mount a comeback. Um, and then, like, I guess once they had the one four-run comeback, then they had a three-run comeback to make, and Mark Canna was like, piece of cake, man, I got this. So I think he deserves credit, not only that, but for he gave up the first four batters all reached against him, yeah, uh, including a, a home run and a double that he allowed and a, a leadoff piss missile single from Kyle Schwarber. Yeah. Um, so like 
he, he looked so bad coming out of the gate. And then once he got his first out, he struck out Bryson Stott. It was like, okay, he settled in a little bit. Um, he did give up one more run after that. Like he allowed JT Real Muto to score after his double, but he did look a little bit better after he got his first out. So, and then he came back out, like he threw 35 some odd pitches in that first inning, but the bullpen is so taxed. The pitching staff was in such need of innings that he was like, okay, I, I just need to get outs. I just need to find outs. Yeah. So that's exactly what he did right. um, for him to fake four half decent innings and give the team a vague chance to win and come from behind. He deserves credit for that. And that's why I think I'll give him like a B plus. Okay. I'm, I'm, I think I'm looking at him a little bit differently. Um, everything that you mentioned about his bouncing back, I agree with, I, I hold it in, I account for it in my grading of him. Um, if anything, I think the fact that he not only bounced back after the first four batters, but he generally held up and continued to perform well after not only a 38 pitch inning, but a number of up downs where he was waiting on the bench for like 20 to 30 minutes in between innings, because this was a long and stupid game um, for him to come back out and pitch again. Like, I don't know what his arms going to be feel like feeling like tomorrow. I don't envy him at all. Um, I, so those are the things that he has going for him that I give him credit for. Um, I will probably do a C plus for him just because he probably is a little bit more important to their plans going forward than some of these other guys. Like I would be surprised if he ever got DFA'd in the next few weeks, I could see really any of these other guys, except for the last, except for Perez and this last one we're coming up on getting DFA'd. I don't think he's really supposed to perform the way that he, like he shouldn't be pitching he shouldn't be that bad in the first inning. Like I can't totally get over that as good of a bounce back as it was. Um, and as important to the pitching staff as it was that he did bounce back, I'm going C plus um, still, you know, better than the average, you know, better than RJ Alvarez. But I think that like, ideally a starting pitcher on your 40 man roster who you're calling up when you're in a bind does better than seven runs in four innings. Like I, I can't really excuse all of it. Um, you know, who I am excited about though is Nate Fisher. I think this guy might actually, and we kind of joke about Michael Perez because it's like, you know, haha, Mets catchers are so bad. The bar is so low and he already clears it. Nate Fisher is not really a guy who clears a low bar. He might actually be somebody that does an important job going forward for this team. Nate Nisher, baby. Really good breaking ball. I really like his slider. He hides the fastball well. He doesn't locate it that well. That's like the one thing where I'm like, if he could do this, if he did this today, because he had three innings pitched, he walked two guys and he only struck out one. Like you can see why there's a little bit of a learning curve with him, but like it's something and it's a really good story. Uh, and it arguably was the closest any Met pitcher came today. In fact, it definitely was the closest that any Met pitcher came today to definitively giving the Mets a chance to win. He should have gotten the win. Trevor May kind of, you know, ruined it, giving up the home run to Gene Segura um, and putting them in the, you know, in the hole. But Nate Fisher was really good. And I really hope that he sticks around. I hope they don't option him. I'm worried they're going to option him because he, he threw a lot of pitches. Yeah. But Some, he he feels like one of those guys 
similar to how Clay pitched and then got removed from the roster and then Zastrzny pitched and then got removed from the roster and Budo is going to get removed from the roster tomorrow almost assuredly that like because you you threw so many pitches and you're just going to be on the shelf for like three or four days uh it's tough to give that roster spot to a guy but that said I'm with you I am all for Nate Fisher becoming out of nowhere like an important piece randomly like a decently important piece like a guy who a second lefty a second lefty, a guy who spends a chunk of the rest of the season on the major league roster. How cool would that be? Given his story as a guy who was out of baseball during the pandemic because the Mariners cut him. He was an undrafted free agent originally out of Nebraska. They took a flyer on him. He pitched okay. He was going up their system, impressing people. They cut him during the pandemic. He was out of baseball. He was doing a job in a bank. He was investment banking. And then the Mariners brought him back. They cut him again. The Mets picked him up and he has been good for the Mets across their upper minors levels this year. And he's like 26 and is good or like looked good today. Yeah. It's like, it's a starters build. Like it's three decent pitches. He flashed an okay changeup. The slider, like you said, has good shape. He commanded it pretty well. It'll play up against left-handed batters. Fastball command, maybe he was a little amped today. Maybe he was a little tired because he literally was pitching all day. They had him warming in the first inning, and they brought him back after the rain delay. Maybe he was tired. Maybe the fastball command was just not really there. But it was like 92 to 94, and he tunneled it all really, really well. Like The Mets might have like a decent sixth or seventh piece in a bullpen here. I'm giving him an A+. I want Yeah, he gets an A+. The guy threw three shutout innings across a rain delay. In his major league debut, yes, he gets an A plus. Yeah, I. This is a guy that I really, really hope sticks around. Um, I don't think so. My thing is like, so Tommy Hunter is probably getting activated sometime soon because they said already that this was going to be a minimum stint for him. I would think he gets Budo's spot because I don't really know what other use you have for Budo at this point because Walker's not going on the injured list. Um, so really, the decision to option Fisher is going to come down to if you're willing to like essentially wait three days to use him again, because he threw like 50 pitches. Um, I don't really think there's like anyone in AAA that I would give days to um, over just waiting on Fisher. I don't know if you would agree with me on that. There's like, there's, there's like, there's a couple of intriguing arms down there. Like I, like Eric Orze enough. I think Bryce Bryce Montez de Oca has been really good lately, but he threw a lot of pitches tonight, I believe. Yeah. Josh Walker um is vaguely intriguing as kind of a guy in that Fisher build as a lefty who's a little on the older side, is not really a prospect. Walker was really effective last year, but has dealt with injuries this year, is recently back, probably a reliever now, but also threw a lot of pitches Sunday. So like those are the top three options in Syracuse do you like I don't even want it like Philip Pfeiffer or not yeah. Philip Pfeiffer Philip Deal I'm sorry I've got my yeah, he's, he's bad he's bad he also threw a lot on Sunday so like yeah. they've all thrown too like I don't know how likely you are to get like availability out of anybody anyway like Yohan Lopez threw um 
God, I don't know. There are just a lot of high ERAs down there too. Like guys that I don't think should be getting promoted right now. Um, like what's Alex Claudio doing? Is, is he been good at all? Like, I'm mean, also, that's a guy, who, any of these guys that you call up, you have to select their contracts and you're probably going to run a risk DFAing them at the end anyway. Like, yeah. Do you, do you dip in a double a with like Grant Hartwig is a name that was floated. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe these are be, some, is there I'm, some, I'm excited for the next drop. I'll say that next NPC drop. I'm excited for it. Could there be someone on the waiver wire? But the thing about anyone who's on the waiver wires, they also good chance. They just pitched because yeah. a lot of these guys, these fringe 40 man guys who get called up when the pen is short, they tend to lose their jobs after they throw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is why this is so crappy that these guys have to go through this. Yeah. Yeah. They're like a- sacrificial lambs. They're like, we're going to let you live out your dreams, but only for one day. And then we're going to remind you of the harsh realities of this business. Yeah. It's, it's, it's brutal. Um, this is why baseball players should never get hurt. And the doctors should just be really good so that no one ever gets put on this, this just ridiculous roller coaster. Um, that's probably all I have on the NPCs. I mean, hopefully I really, the thing is, so I guess in my book, the worst of them really was like RJ Alvarez who was just what I expected. No one was like Cameron Maven levels of bad. Um, this, this was a good week. I think it was a good week for the Mets. Um, really, when you look at everything, the fact that they split these eight games, that they won four and lost four, Trevor Williams stepped up really in a huge way. It reminds me a lot of what we saw in Los Angeles um, in like June. And again, like this stuff feels like ages ago now because of how long this week has been. But like, do you remember Adonis Medina like closing out uh, that last game at, that like Trevor Williams started? Like, and that yeah. was against a good team. Like this is happening against good teams too. This is not like them eking out wins over bad teams. Like are the Phillies unwatchable? Yes. Did they hit the entire day? Yes. Like they're good. Um, they might make up, they might, you know, make the playoffs. I think they're probably going to finish over 500. They have a lot wrong with them. Um, but they're frauds. They are kind of frauds. Yeah. They have played a lot better since I, I know the weird, dumb narratives of like, manager got fired and they brought in a new guy and the team plays better are usually like they're not bullshit they're at least a little bit bullshit usually but in this case rob thompson when he's managed this team they have played much better baseball they have also pitched a lot better which i think is really where it, it comes from um but they just can't beat the mets which is fun i also i don't know about you jack there's certain teams that when you win against them as Mets fans it it just feels more satisfying like a win over the Rockies next week is going to be like "Eh, whatever it's the Rockies like a win against the Braves feels great a win against the Yankees feels great Mm -hmm. but for some reason I don't know if it's just me I think the Phillies are my favorite team to beat yeah I, I, I have a theory behind why it's so exciting because today was ridiculous. Like, I think the fact is we both share an experience, whether Mets fans want to admit this or not, because I know that like Philadelphia sports fans are to New York sports fans, what like the antichrist is to like extremely religious people. But ultimately we have so much in common. 
with the, the ways that our teams lose games, the lack of success that our sports teams um, continue to experience. And when these two teams, these, the Mets and the Phillies, as good as the Mets have been, like the Phillies, honestly, like by all measures, like they're a lot better than they were last year. The improvements from last year to this year are sort of proportional between these two teams, I think. Although the Mets are on a hundred win pace, so maybe it's a little bit different. But like, you know, it's it's the bragging rights are exaggerated, I think, because both of these fan bases want to feel like what they have is not at all what they had last year. But when these two play each other, even as good as they are now, they are unwatchable. Um, the at bats are terrible. The pitching is bad. You constantly feel like you're about to give up a home run. Uh, you hold your breath whenever someone tries to steal a base. Uh, routine ground balls to the left side are hell. Um, and when you are the team that wins the game, all the time that you put in is worth it. If you're a Phillies fan and you lose these games, I mean, for a long time, um, it's even last year, really, like, because I think that it was a little bit more back and forth last year between these two teams, losing those kinds of games where you're investing a lot of time as a fan and watching bad baseball, it really, really hurts. And to know that you invest that kind of time and you win rather than lose um, is exhilarating. Like this was, that's honestly how it felt to know that I invested like six hours today into a game that my team did not choke. Uh, I feel vindicated. I really do. It's so, yeah, it, I think that a lot of it does boil down to it. First of all, to your point, there is no matchup in the Mets schedule that more uniquely makes me feel like I'm drowning underwater while watching than Mets Phillies games. Yeah, it's terrible. It's the Phillies really horrible. They uh like I I get that Keith has gotten a lot of crap for what he said about the Phillies be, be basically being unwatchable and wanting to not call Phillies series because he doesn't like watching them play baseball and all that. He's not wrong. They he's play a baby. He's a baby for that, but he's not wrong. You but can't he's a, disagree yes. with him. Okay. I have had to call my fair share of really bad baseball. That yeah. is the thing that happens. Yeah. I've now had multiple summer league jobs as a broadcaster. And sometimes college pitchers in these summer leagues, they just don't know how to throw strikes. Right. And sometimes the fielders in these summer leagues just don't know how to make the routine plays or hit the cutoff man. So like I've called my fair share of bad baseball games. And yes, when you find yourself in a game like this as a media guy, it is not fun to cover that game, but you still do it and you find yeah. ways to make it fun and you find way you, you, you know, it's whatever it's like, yes. Yeah. Ron, yeah Ron doesn't quit broadcasting nationals games because they haven't had a good pitcher in like three years. You know what I mean? Like I, I, yeah, that's my only real point on it. I think that it's, Keith, you're right. Keith, yeah, Keith, Keith, Keith but, is a bit of a baby for it, but also having watched the Phillies for 19 games this year, he's not uh, like he's not wrong. Like he shouldn't say it, but he's not wrong. Right. Like it's bad baseball. They're not a good like th the fact that they're such a bad defensive team is infuriating to watch. They have pitched better, but early season Phillies games where they weren't playing good defense and they had no bullpen, and guys who are not named Nola or Wheeler were not 
pitching well as starters. Like it was bad. Um, it's gotten a little more cleaned up, but also at the same time, they're still the Phillies, so they can't do anything normally ever. Right. Um, so like I don't know. It's it's also something I think satisfying because in the same way that New York sports fans are so in your face about everything when something goes in favor of their team, yeah. Philly Philly fans have the same syndrome. They oh, the, the Keith same... approved the Keith approved thing was so so bad. Yeah, they have the same kind of little brother complex to the Mets. I think Philly fans specifically, especially because over the last half decade or so, even going back to like 2014, 2015, the Mets have just played a lot of their best baseball against the Phillies, especially in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, the Mets have had a lot of great wins in that ballpark. So well, we I suffered think, for those wins too, you know. We did like 2007 to 2011 were yeah, it's traumatizing times. We traumatizing, exactly. So I think that it's okay for the Phillies fans to have a bit of a complex about the Mets yeah. and to be excited when they beat us, but it's only fair that when they don't beat us, we get to throw it back in their faces. Uh yeah. and be like, <laughs> you know, maybe you guys are frauds. I know you're yeah. 10, 11 games over 500 right now, but maybe you're frauds. And that's okay yeah, for us to say because you can't beat the division winner and good teams are going to beat the division winner when it, it gets to be that point. So obviously if you're working for uh, the Phillies or an affiliate of the Phillies and are in the market for a broadcaster, ignore everything I just said, go Phils. But uh, if you're not, you probably get exactly what I'm saying that these wins are fun because there's something cathartic about being about beating uh, the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the same can be said about beating the Braves um, in terms of just the, the, the experience between fan bases when the Mets win those games, but I I expect more out of the Braves though. That's, that's also true. The Phillies are a little bit more, I think, embarrassing Although, I mean, with all the Marcelo Zuna stuff in the last few days, I'm not sure I should expect anything out of the Braves. But, like, yeah, the the Braves at least play clean games. You know, like, those are hard-fought games. When the Mets beat the Braves, those don't tend to be messy baseball games. Those tend to be good games between two very good teams this year specifically. So it's, like, reassuring to win those games. It's like, okay, we beat a good team here. With the Phillies, it's like I just want to beat them. I just want to beat them. I just want to beat them up. Yeah. I want to. I want to leave them on the ground with their with their pockets emptied and a black eye. Like I, you know, like I want to leave them in the gutter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's <sighs> yeah. So we're done with the Phillies. We've we are more games with the Braves and then that's done. Um, those three games might actually kind of be important, like down the line um, just because the Braves are, what is it? They have a four game lead over the Braves. Now I it's, it's honestly like, I thought this was over after the first series at city field and it's not like the Braves won three of four. Um, even the game that the Mets won, I feel like the Braves really played good baseball and almost outplayed the Mets. Like the Mets almost gave that up. Um, I'm a little worried about Edwin Diaz lately. Like the Braves are a very good team. Um, so I think part of my experience with that fan base is also like, I am a little bit more scared 
for these games, as much as I enjoy when the Mets do their thing and Braves fans cry about it, like the Braves know how to develop young players. And also Mike Soroka's coming back. Um, like they might, and Ozzy Albies might be coming back like at some point too. Like I, I, I'm a little worried about that. And I would really rather not play in uh, the first round of the playoffs. I'd much rather the Mets made a buy and I didn't have to experience this 12 team stuff. Just keep it at eight teams. That's how I feel about yeah, it. I'm um, with you. I'm with thank you. God that the schedule is as easy as it is between now and then. But I mean, the Braves have probably made a good point that they're a good team. and They just don't lose, um, which is really, I think, frightening to me. Um, since the Mets took four or five from them, including the loss to the Astros on Sunday, uh, and thank God the Astros came and won that game. Oh, yeah. Um, almost gave it away. Almost gave it away, but they didn't. Important part. Mets gained a ground a game back in ground uh to to get back to four games in the division. That was their second loss in 15 games. So yeah, they just don't lose. Our second loss in third was it 13 games? Were they 13 and one or were they 12 and one? In yeah, I don't remember games? whatever it, it almost doesn't matter. Like they just keep winning. It was their it was their second loss since that series in at City Field. Yeah, is, well, yeah. steered them straight. Um, I'm looking at a tweet right now that basically it outlines what the Mets division lead would be if they swap places with any of the other first place teams. Yeah, um, like the worst it would be for them is if they played in like the NL West, um, and they'd be 11 and a half up on the Padres. Like this is the only division where there's real competition for, a, you know, who's going to, uh, well, that's not true, but like with a team as good as the Mets, this is the only division where they find themselves competing for a division spot. Like they would have the AL central easily, but it's a, currently a division with three teams. I think the Phillies better. would have the AL central or yeah. Probably. The, yeah. The Phillies I mean, would be in the AL central is kind of a joke. Um, it's, it's kind of ridiculous that one of those teams is going to, um, Although I guess they don't get the buy, right? It's just the first two teams. So they yeah. wouldn't get the buy anyway. I'm making stuff up. Um, I don't know. The Braves are good. I really, really hope they start losing soon because I'm I'm confident the Mets will start winning with this easy schedule now on the horizon, um, starting with these two games against the Yankees because I, 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 I guess the Yankees aren't good anymore. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we could still be talking about this at, like, the end of September, like who's going to win the division, and I really hope that doesn't happen. Um, I'm ready to remember some guys. You got let's remember, yeah, let's remember some guys. You go first. I don't really have one in the chamber. We'll see where I go. Right. Um, I'm going to remember. Uh, hmm, a lot of different avenues here, but I think in the spirit of remembering and talking about these NPCs, these guys who just show up and disappear. Um, after one game, uh, I'm going to remember Akil Morris, uh, who made yeah. one appearance in 2015. And it was like in the middle of a season. It was in the, it was like before the team got good. So like, it, it didn't really end up like mattering a whole lot. Um, it was in like June, I think like very few people remember this, um, his one appearance though. It was, it was, it was not very good. Um, trying to figure out what the earned run amount would be here. Cause right now all I have is the ERA, but I don't think he got through his inning. Um, yeah. Okay. It was two thirds of an inning. 
um, against the Blue Jays, and he gave up five earned runs on three hits and three walks and a home run, uh, 67-50 earned run average, and the FIP was 36-13. That's Akil Morris, everybody. Um, that's my guy. He was like a half-decent relief prospect, too. Like He was having a good year in the minors. Yeah. Yeah, he they traded him for Kelly Johnson, like the second, like the return of the Kelly Johnson, I guess. Um, sure. Yeah, I don't know. I think he, he kind of got a lot of I shouldn't say he got a lot of hype because like a Met relief prospect, realistically, those guys are never really much of anything. You can count the, the number of Met relief prospects who got up to Morris's level, really, in terms of hype on like one hand. But yeah, it was still kind of a bummer. You'd think he'd at least complete an inning, uh, but he didn't. He was yeah. out of the league by by the end of 2021. Um, totally not- another product of the sometimes being on a 40-man roster hurts mm-hmm. your career. Yeah. Yeah, Literally, and pitching you know, for Wally Backman in AAA would do that to you. Yeah. Um, feel kind of bad about that. Yeah. Um, that's all I have on Akil Morris, though. Pretty good minor league numbers through and through when he was a Met. No reason to think he would be nearly this bad when he made it up, but um, sometimes it just doesn't work for people. But I'm, I hope he's doing well now. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, so we've remembered so many future guys to remember today. All the yeah. NPCs are guys that in five years, we're going to look back and be like, oh, yeah, I guess Devin Marrero did appear for the 2022 Mets. Get get his playoff share. Maybe a ring. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, in that vein, maybe we'll stick with a little Mets-Phillies moment. And maybe, maybe it's worth pulling out a big bullet here. Okay. And remembering I, Jeff Francois. I, I, I literally, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to do the triple play thing. I knew as soon as you said Met Philly, I was like, we're going back to 2009. There's no other way. that Because I can't remember Eric Brunlett. So I'm going to remember the guy who hit it to Eric Brunlett. I wish you could. I wish Eric Brunlett had been a Met that day. That would have been great. We would have never had this problem. That was the worst day of my life. No cap. Worst day of my life when that happened. I remember I was, I was at I was at camp, so I don't I didn't watch, yeah. but God, I've seen it enough since. Yeah, you uh, probably read about it in the papers or something. That's what happened when we were in camp, like around that time. You just read the score in the newspaper the next day and it was like, oh, they almost won. They they lost by two runs. Nope. It wasn't it wasn't like that. That triple play, man. That you ever seen the John Boys bit on Frank Hoare? Uh, yes, I think I have. The, my favorite worst player. It's actually kind of incredible how good he was when he first came up and how immediately that. Oh, I have seen this because, yeah, I mean, he came up and he was like incredible. Yeah, they put him on Sports Illustrated. And the thing about it, though, is that like he was never, ever remotely that good again. But he didn't like leave baseball for another 11 years. Like he still had a job on teams for a long time. I think he like played. I think he played for like every team in the NL East or something. He he became a journeyman. It was like he's like the Haley Joel Osmond of baseball. Is that he started his career with such a famous role uh-huh. that people just kept giving him chances for like a decade and he was never that good again. 
this is a cinema reference, but I think it's I think it's a good one. I like that. The kid from uh the Sixth yeah. Sense. I see dead people. Yeah, like that's the vibe. I I love Jeff Francois. I think he's a really good analyst mm-hmm. in the booth now. When he's in the booth, I think that he was such a fun guy. He yeah. was like Vladimir Guerrero if he was just like an average player in the, in so far that he had a really strong arm from right field and swung at everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that 09 and then the 2010 Mets teams were very bad. Yeah. And he just got a lot of playing time and he got a lot of outfield assists and he hit the occasional home run and swung wildly and got himself out constantly. And, occasionally made a dumb base running error but this guy this guy played for a ton of teams um wasn't he was the the subject of a prank when he was in triple a in the padre system oh yeah they convinced him that uh one of his teammates was deaf yeah and then they made they spent the next like month cultivating this like just weaving this prank more elaborately every day and then they like made a movie about it i think um there was a movie yeah, they made like a little movie just about like, and it was all these different AAA players like giving their testimony of like things they saw Jeff do. Oh, yes, uh, yes, yes, like yes. In interactions with this player who he thought was deaf, who wasn't actually deaf. I mean, it's like, it's like, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, it's not funny to like just pretend to be deaf. Um, but how do you fall for that? That's That might be worse to actually just be like, oh yeah, that guy must be deaf. Like, I don't know. That's, Anyways, yeah. Go. Let's wrap up here. This was episode ninety-two of the Plus Good Evening podcast. We're running out of time, so I'm going to wrap up quick. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the PGE Pod, and be sure to join us next week for episode ninety-three. Mets and Yankees kick off the series in the Bronx this week. He's been Jack Hendon. I've been Sam Lebowitz. Hopefully, we'll talk about the Mets sweeping the season series from the Bronx Bombers. In any event, this one's in the books. We'll see you next week on the Pleasant Evening Podcast. And Mets fans, have a pleasant evening. Almost forgot the outro. There it is. There it is. He said it. (laughs) 